Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that we have these days that you've given us right now to praise you. And that's why we gather together, Lord, to focus on you, to remember all of your mighty works, your promises, your commands, your goodness, your grace, your character, just all these things, Lord, that we can focus on and remember as we walk uh, on this earth. So thank you, Lord, for gathering us together, Lord. Open our, our ears, and most importantly, our hearts and minds uh, to the truth of your word. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I, I don't know about the, every, everyone else here, uh, but I, I know for myself, usually three days after Sunday worship, I'm starting to feel some of the weight of, of living <laughs> in a fallen world. And uh, my spiritual batteries usually need some recharging <laughs> by midweek, so I'm really glad that uh, you're all here, and hopefully uh, tonight will be some very practical, encouraging truths uh, that will recharge your spirits and minds as we go through uh, the remainder of the week strong and ready for whatever comes at us, uh, no matter what that is. Uh, the title of this tonight's sermon is Practical Encouragement for Believers. And our passage, as Nick mentioned, our passage is going to be in Philippians verses 4, 4 through 9. So if you want to go, uh, turn your Bibles or your devices, uh, get ready. We'll, we'll read that passage in a moment. But uh, just a quick background on that. I, I'm not going to go into it a whole lot of detail. But when you, talk, when you think about where this encouragement is from, encouragement really is kind of the theme for pretty much the, the main theme of Ephesians. Is, is encouragement. We're just going to take a look at sort of just one slice of that tonight, and that's in this, the, the passage in, in 4 uh, through 9 here. But again, Paul is coming from, he's writing this letter to encourage other believers, and, and where's Paul at? He's in prison. <laughs> so he's in prison, and these words we're going to read, remember that as we're reading these, this passage, that's where he's coming from and sharing encouragement, even though that is where his current circumstance is at the time. So if you'd like to please follow along in your, in your Bibles uh, and uh, read the passage here. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, my brothers, whatever, is, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are right, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and there is any praise, think on these things. Do those things which you have also learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace shall be with you. This is a great exhortation for all Christians to rejoice. In all circumstances, rejoice. And it's emphasized twice and this should be the disposition of anyone who has experienced the lavish love of God through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. When we truly embrace and really value the eternal riches 
that we've been given, it really is only natural that our countenance and demeanor would show, would show that, would show our joy and show our gratitude. It's when we lose sight of this that we get into problems. It becomes very, very easy to get discouraged. And I, I would also add here, this is really important, we're going we're to cover this a little bit more in, as we get more into the passage a little bit deeper here, but I'd also like to add right here that one of the prerequisites of joy is thanksgiving or gratitude. That's really a prerequisite to joy. You'll see that confirmed, as I say, in, in, in the passage we just read here a little bit as we dig a little bit more, but if anyone questions this, I, I, would, just, I would just simply ask how easily... And, and ask yourself this question. How easily can you rejoice if you aren't thankful? How easy is that to do? Joy stems, though, naturally from thankfulness. If you're, if you're thankful and you're, you're grateful about something, joy, that's a very natural way that you would ex expound on that. You would, you would be joyful always because you're thankful. So if we don't identify anything that we're thankful for, that's when we're not going to have joy. And so that's going to be kind of the focus of we, we need to remember the object and what we are thankful for. And this command to rejoice is important for at least two reasons. I'm just going to cover a couple of quick ones here. But there's at least two reasons why this, this commandment to rejoice is important. First, for us personally, it's very difficult to live the victorious Christian life if we're being driven about by our daily circumstances. And I, I, it's really important for us to understand the difference between joy and happiness. And a lot of times we kind of use those as if they're the same word, and they're not. Joy and happiness are very, very, very different. Happiness is based on circumstances. If you can remember a phrase, this, this kind of helped me think, think about this. Happiness is sort of, if we say, well, as long as I have this, or as long as I get this, or as long as, as long as I, that's happiness. Joy is much deeper than that. Joy is regardless of any circumstance. Not as long as I'm in this circumstance, I'm going to be happy. Joy is beyond that, because joy, your circumstance could be... You can have joy even if you're poor. You can have joy even if you're sick. In Paul's case, you can have joy even if you're in prison for your faith. Circumstances do not dictate your joy because that's the object. We have this joy in the person of Jesus Christ as believers here. So it's much deep, deeper. It's not dependent on circumstances. And we have to remember, if we're basing our life on trying to be happy all the time, you know that your circumstances can be changed. So if you're trying to, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to be happy as long as you're basing your happiness on circumstances. And we don't have control over all those things, just in case you've forgotten about that. So and it's also important to remember that circumstances and current events are not ultimate reality. That's just one slice of time right now. We can forget that Christ has won the battle for us and that not even death can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. The passage from Romans 8, 39, uh, 38 and 39 points this out very succinctly. For I am sure that neither death 
nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, anything present, that's your current circumstance, or anything future that you're worried about as being your circumstance, none of that stuff can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's a powerful thought to consider. The victory is permanent. Jesus has won a permanent victory for us by what he's accomplished on the cross and rising again from the dead. That is a permanent victory. And if we're going to live victorious Christian lives, we have to be remembering that truth. And when we forget about it is when we start to let these other things creep in. But a, a second reason why this command to rejoice is important is just ask the, the simple question, how effective is my Christian witness going to be if we're going around moaning and complaining instead of rejoicing? I, I, I think we all agree that we were, if we were the most discontent, negative complainers in our workplace, there's very few people that are going to want to even engage with us. We're called to be salt and light, not doom and gloom. And we've got more reason for rejoicing than unbelievers. So that should be showing and coming out of us. Our salvation is assured, and it can't be lost because it's dependent on Christ. <laughs> we have something truly to be thankful and joyful for and rejoicing in. And that's what should be coming out of us. And verse 5 instructs us uh, that not only should our joy be on display, but also that grace is clearly seen in both our words and our behavior to the world. We're to engage and not to isolate. You know, the key word here is rendered, because this, this whole this concept of, is all about in verse 5, is about assuming that you're going to be engaging with other people in the context of this world. So the, the key word here is rendered reasonableness in the ESV. You're, you probably have some different translations there. Uh, reasonableness might mean also moderation, but the ESV uses the word uh, reasonableness. The Greek word is, I hope I pronounced this correctly, epiakos, which has the meaning of appropriateness. The meaning includes, and it, it covers a lot of stuff because the meaning includes mildness, gentleness, moderation, and, and patience. And different English translations of the Bible use words such as leniency, forbearance, gentle behavior, gracious attitude, humility. And my favorite translation that I came across as I was looking at this passage was actually in the Holman, uh, where it said uh, graciousness. And then I wanted to get one more bit of input this morning. I opened up my, my MacArthur study Bible. I said, what, what words does he use to, to describe this? I love this definition, graciousness with humility. Graciousness, that's what's supposed to be seen. That's what this verse is talking about with this word, that that's what should be seen, graciousness with humility. And I hope you can see that this is not only an attitude or a posture, but it's also an outward behavior uh, towards others. So there, this is real clear guidance for believers on how we're to act to other people. The bridge to the next verse is 
the Lord is a hand. The coming of Christ is the essential truth that is our cause for joy in all these circumstances. We must remember his nearness. I, I would, I would uh, consider that this small sentence uh, to be the truth upon rest, what the rest of this passage is even hinging on right now. That's really what this hinges on. But beyond that, as, as Christians, this knowledge is really our most prized possession. Because this goes all the way back to what the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that was being prophesied, the promise of God, that then becomes fulfilled. Uh, back in uh, uh, Isaiah 7.14, the, the prophecy about the coming Messiah says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then this same verse was quoted, explained, and then came to pass in the Gospel of, of Matthew 1.24, uh, Emmanuel means God with us. God dwelling with us. This is not, he, God, and this is what we have to remember. God is not some distant, uninterested, and divi divinity or deity that doesn't care about what's going on in our daily lives. The Lord is near. He is Emmanuel. Is God with us. He's dwelt with man and he's left his Holy Spirit as a deposit until he returns again physically. And I can't overemphasize how crucial this is that we understand his nearness to us, especially in light of this next verse. Because verse 6 continues with some more of this practical wisdom. We're, we're challenged to consider what place worry and anxiety should occupy in a believer's life. And the, the passage that Nick read uh, when we started our service tonight is a, is a great passage that, that talks about that, that if, if he's going to even take care of the birds of the field and all of and the grass and the flowers and everything else, but we're the apex of his creation. Don't you think he's going to take care of us? So this next verse is really addressing that. I'll, I'll read that, this part of it again. It says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, and while this might not be real easy to do in our own strength sometimes, the command is still very, very clear that this is, we're, we're not supposed, this is one of those thou shalt not kind of, of commands. Don't do this. You know, I, I've heard it said in a, um, in a few different ways. The essence of it is that when we, that when we have anxiety and the essence of worry is when, whenever we envision the future without God in the picture. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, that, that's pretty much what it is. No matter what, if we're envisioning the future without considering the holiness and power of an omnipotent God, then we're going to be anxious. But if we consider that power, then there's no reason for us to be anxious. And we're commanded not to be. Don't worry. We're, we're commanded to instead uh, just <laughs> bring, my, bring my, my, my worries and my, my troubles, bring it to God. That's the command. Don't worry, bring it to God. Because 
we not need to remember that he's near and he is providentially involved in all of the events that go on in the entire universe. And it's easy for us to forget about this supernatural power when we're focusing on our circumstances. And when these thoughts creep in and start to overtake us, we can, we have the privilege of being able to go directly to the creator and the sustainer of the universe and he will hear our prayer. The eternal, omniscient, omnipotent God wants to take all of our problems to him. Bring it all to him. But what happens when we're getting anxious and worried? Our problem, which is right in front of us, becomes so big it just surrounds us. We, we think that our problem is surrounding everything in, in the, the, the entire world around us. And that God's somewhere out here and he's not noticing. God, this problem is... Folks, that's exactly the opposite of the truth. The truth is... I mean, think about this for a minute. Our problem, even if we're looking at it and focusing on it, how big is your worst problem right now? How big is your worst problem in light of, okay, I am just one person out of billions on this earth. This earth is just one little tiny planet in the entire universe... Our galaxy is just one of billions of galaxies in the entire universe. And God is bigger and beyond everything that he's created in the entire universe. And we have this one little problem. And God's bigger than the universe. And we want to put this one little problem so close to our eyes that we don't realize that, wait, no, there's a God over the entire universe. And I, I hope this just reminds you to, to remember that God is bigger than our problems. No matter what they are, yes, they're real. We're not discounting that. But in light of a supernatural God who is over everything, our problem, you can't see it on a microscope in relation to the God of the universe. He's bigger than all of that. So when we turn our future back over to God, who, by the way, already knows our future and controls it, it releases us from the burden. And isn't that what we want relief from, this problem that's right in front of us? We want relief from the burden. God's saying, give it to me. Just turn it over to me. I'm not going to go into all of the words. There, there's one word here in, in, in this particular uh, verse here that I just wanted to share, too, because not everybody necessarily... There's one word in here, supplication, that maybe some of you aren't familiar with because it's not a word that we use every day. But supplication just means it's a, it's a request or a petition. Basically, it's when our prayer is asking something of God as opposed to a prayer that's uh, a prayer of adoration or thanks or uh, praise. That, that's all supplication means. So just, just so in your head, as you're reading through this passage again, just remember, supplication is just when we're asking God for something in particular. The other part of this passage, this is where the word thanksgiving comes in, in verse 6 here. It comes out, thanksgiving. Clearly, gratitude is deemed as an essential element, like I've shared a moment ago. It's a key component of joy. The first part of this is rejoice. Well, here's a key component of it. Thankfulness, thanksgiving, gratitude. And verse 7 explains that when we gratefully come to him, he gives peace and comfort 
that can't be found anywhere else. Doing this will then surpass or supplant any and all other understandings and perspectives that, that, that we might have as human beings. Uh, God's wisdom and power and perspective are infinitely beyond, <laughs> beyond our knowledge, and it transcends any of that. Uh, and how foolish it is for people, I mean, think about this for a minute. how foolish it is for us not to take advantage of the exchange that God is offering. God's saying, I will give you this when you hand these anxieties over to me. You know, when we think, you know, as I say, we all, okay, I'm, 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 this, by the way, preached to me as well as I hope it's somehow preaching to you, but we all sometimes forget that we have this ability for this great exchange. If I came to any of you and said, hey, look, I've got $1,000, give me a penny. If you've got a full deck, you're gonna say, sure, I'll take that exchange. That's, that's, a, that's a good exchange, right? Or if anybody has ever played Monopoly, everybody knows that the, the least valuable properties on the Monopoly board are Baltic and, and Mediterranean, those purple properties. And the most expensive and most valuable properties are Boardwalk and Park Place. And if, some, if you're playing Monopoly with someone and they say, hey, I'll trade you these blue ones here for those purple ones, you'd say, this person doesn't have a clue about the game. Sure, I'll take that, right? Because you know that that's a, that's a very positive exchange for you. Now, I, I was trying to come up with some other analogies, but, but all of these analogies fall short because they don't do justice to this exchange because the riches that God offers are infinite, and we can't even really put a price tag on peace and rest. But that's how great the exchange is. It's better than the purple for the blue, <laughs> and it's better than $1,000 for the penny. Infinite riches are what our benefit is, and perfect peace and rest. That's a great exchange for just handing it over to God. Okay, this is what I give you, Lord. I give you my troubles. You're taking them away? Taking away my anxiety? Wow. You're not going to find a better exchange anywhere. I don't care where you invest. There's no, there's no, you're never going to find a greater exchange rate than that. And suffice it to say, this, so, this exchange is beneficial to us, and we should always want to take advantage of this offer. And this offer is not, it's not just financial or material. It's spiritual and mental. And he guards our hearts and our minds in Christ. That's a great exchange. I hope we all can remember that he's asked, he stands ready to make this exchange anytime we're going through these trials and we're anxious about stuff and we're worried about stuff. This exchange is available 24 7, 365. It's available for us. And when we stop dwelling on our problems and circumstances, part of how we put off worry is by putting on the vision of what God has done and continues to do. We look at Christ and his perfections of purity and honor and justice and wisdom and beauty. Uh, the excellencies of God's power and his marvelous works are the things that are worthy of our consideration and thought. And we're called to focus on these moral excellencies that are listed in, in verse eight here. And I wanna encourage everyone who can hear my voice tonight uh, to, remember, to learn and remember this passage when you're going through trials. This is a wonderful antidote for, for trials 
and tribulations. Remember this passage and, and remember to focus on these, on these things. You can choose any of these words that are, that are listed here in, in, in this verse um, to meditate on, any of them. Okay, whatever is true, there's just one right there. Whatever is true, what's true? John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That's the truth, not your circumstances. Circumstances aren't ultimately the whole truth, but God's word is the whole truth. Uh, whatever is honorable, okay, that can mean like honest or venerable. First Peter uh, 2.12 explains it this way. Keep your contact, conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against, uh, or when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So focus on what's honorable. Focus on what's just, and what's just means innocent, right, holy. Again, you could do a deeper dive on any of these words to focus on. Or whatever is pure, which means perfect, clean, holy, modest. Whatever you can focus on that's of that nature, that's what we want to focus on. And those are great attributes to consider when our minds are distracted by the trials and tribulations. And Paul is telling the Philippians in verse 9 that they're not to just hear and agree, but they're to believe and do. This is a call to action from the beginning. Rejoice. I mean, these are all, this is all a call to action. We're to model to the world the same things that the prophets in the Old Testament and, and the apostles in the New Testament and, and, and Paul modeled during their times. We're supposed to do the same thing. We're believers in Jesus Christ. We trust in the Lord for our salvation. There were all these people from the past that are, have been revealed to us in God's word are written down so we can remember that there are others that have gone before us that have walked in the way that was revealed to them and, they, and what they were told to do. And the final blessing is that when we follow the word and we join others and encourage others in obedience to the truth, we will experience the God of peace. The passage says, the God of peace will be with you. We're back to that whole thing with Emmanuel again, right? God with us, with you, that we just considered. And peace is a part of the Lord's character. It is who he is. It's the God of peace, not just the peace of God. It's the God of peace is what it says right here. He's made us and the beauty for Christians is that he's made peace with us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why we gather together and worship. It's because he has made peace with us. Nick just preached, and that's another whole sermon too, by the way, but Nick just preached on Sunday about peace, right? The peace with God from Romans 5.1. If you weren't here, if you missed it, I, I really urge you to download or listen to that sermon. Even if you've listened to it, I just encourage you to, to listen to it again. It's, it's worth hearing again to remember that we can rejoice in the hope of God's glory even in the midst of suffering. You know, when I started to prepare this message a couple of weeks ago, I, I just, confession here, when I started to prepare it, I was thinking, Okay, encouragement. This is midweek service. We want to have an encourage, a good encouraging passage. And this is a great passage of encouragement anytime, right? 
But I, I, things were going pretty well, and I thought this would be a good encouragement for the body on Wednesday night. Great refreshment. I didn't know what kind of trials I might be experiencing that week. And as it turns out, um, I really needed to have this passage in the forefront of my head uh, when I was working on uh, uh, stuff this weekend. And uh, on Saturday, I received a, a very uh, disturbing phone call. And by God's grace and providence, after that phone call is when I was going to take the time to work on finishing this message. So even though I had a very, very challenging, difficult phone call, I'm reading this passage, and I'm being refreshed. This is not just some top-shelf theology stuff. This is really practical. We need this. We need this kind of encouragement when we're going through these trials. This, again, this, this is where the rubber meets the road. And this verse, and then coupled with then following up the very next day for uh, hearing Romans 5, 1 preached, it's like, okay, I, I'm at peace. Regardless of the circumstance, I'm at peace. Matter of fact, Jane and I had a very peaceful Sunday afternoon, didn't we? <laughs> and this is, a, again, facing some trials, but we had a peaceful, because we were focusing on these lovely, pure, hopeful things of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Um, so, you know, the privilege to do that, it's just been so comforting to remember who God is and what he's done and to remember what you had to do like from 90 miles an hour to a full stop almost, getting off the phone and then having to remember to lay my burdens at his feet. This, this passage confronted me right then and there. It's like, okay, Lord, I've got to do that. I can't let this distract me from studying your word and being prepared to share this with everybody. I, this is, I, I've got to preach to myself first, and hopefully some of this lands with you guys and, and encourages you in this as well. Um, to remember to lay down your burdens, because he's near and he knows. He knows my future. He knows your future. He knows all of our future. And he's near. I can rejoice and be at rest, and so can all believers. We can have joy in any circumstance. And again, even the, the circumstance of Paul's writing of this letter is, is a good example of that as well. Paul didn't say, well, I can't write anything to anybody. I'm in prison. I, I mean, obviously, my life is too messed up, and I'm too stressed to be able. No. He wrote this encouragement from a, from a jail cell. So, to wrap up, in order to put off anxiety and put on joy, we need a compelling vision of something better, a great hope, which we've been hearing about, right? A great hope. And to see this clearly, we need to remember one very important truth, the Lord is at hand. He's near. He not only knows about our circumstances, but he has providentially allowed these things in our lives. He's loving and gracious and merciful. And our future with him in glory is our hope and our vision. Join me in prayer. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our hope and our vision and our future that we get to look forward to spending eternity with you and that we can take whatever difficulties 
that we have. None are too small, none are too big. We can bring any difficulties and trials to you and lay them at your feet. And you offer the most gracious, extravagant exchange for our problems, your peace. Lord, how can we not rejoice when we consider what you've done, when we consider the exchange, when we consider the exchange of the cross, the sinless one bearing all of our sins so that we don't have to. And we lay those all at the foot of the cross, Lord. We, we lay our sins, we lay our hearts open to you, Lord, to search us and know our hearts. Lord, if there's any anxious thoughts in us, remove them. Help us bring them to you because we know you wait there constantly, consistently waiting to make that exchange whenever we're ready to let go of what it is that we ultimately can't control anyway. So Lord, we thank you for the work that you've done. We praise you for all of this and we thank you for this joy and for this command to rejoice as we remember that you are near. So thank you, Lord, for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for our last song.